When I became a follower of Jesus at age 17, God really disrupted my life. He really messed things up. I had a lot of great plans, and God stepped in and disrupted those plans. He disrupted things because He actually does know what's best for me, way better than I do. And so in my life at that time, those disruptions meant, among other things, ending my relationship with my girlfriend. It meant changing my major in college. These were good disruptions. They were necessary disruptions. And I learned that sometimes, if we want to experience the best that God has for us, we need to be willing to experience His loving disruptions. Sometimes God will step into your life and my life and He will act in a very disruptive way to get our attention. Sometimes he steps into his world in a disruptive way to get the attention of the people of the world. And that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. For 50 days leading up to Pentecost, the followers of Jesus have been hanging out in Jerusalem. They're waiting around simply because Jesus said, I want you to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now that was disruptive. They had to put their own personal plans on hold for seven weeks. Finally, though, their waiting is over. The Holy Spirit shows up. But He doesn't come in a calm and peaceful and orderly and serene manner. The way He shows up, He completely disrupts things. And this becomes very clear when we look in the book of Acts, chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 13 verses of Acts 2. And as I read, I want you to look at a classic painting by El Greco. He was an artist of the Spanish Renaissance. And he gives us his perspective on what the day of Pentecost, the day of wind and fire, might have looked like. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's the believers, the small little community of Jesus followers. They were all together, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? 
Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, now let's be honest. This is, this is just weird. <laughs> it is a very wild, weird, and wonderful thing. And it's fair to ask, why does God unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in this way on this day? Well, when we do a little digging we discover that he does so for at least two very strategic reasons. First, the day of Pentecost is a religious holiday that commemorates the giving of God's law to the Jewish people. However, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, which means we're now free to experience life in the Spirit. So God takes this day for celebrating the law, the law of Moses, and God redefines this day. It's now a day to celebrate the personal connection that people can have with God because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The second reason is that the day of Pentecost is the most international of all Jewish events. As I was reading this passage, it becomes very clear that faithful Jews come to Jerusalem for this event from all over the known world. There are tons of foreigners here. And so I believe God picks this day to send the Holy Spirit into the world because He wants to begin the process of sending the message of Jesus around the world. And He'll be able to do that specifically because of the international nature of this audience. To accomplish those goals, however, God has to get the attention of the people. And so the followers of Jesus are meeting in a house near the Jewish temple. They're probably just talking and praying and waiting. And then without any warning whatsoever, the Holy Spirit shows up and He completely disrupts things. And we see that so clearly in verses 2, 3, and 4. Now, the Holy Spirit is invisible, so as we see here in this part of the passage, He makes Himself visible in a very dramatic fashion. His arrival sounds like a rushing wind, and it looks like tongues of fire. And then, as the Spirit gives Himself to each believer in the room, those people then respond by speaking in other tongues which means they're speaking in foreign languages that they don't know. It's a miracle. But those languages are known to the foreigners attending Pentecost. And here's something we can't overlook. The believers didn't ask for this to happen. God just did it. That's why the Apostle Paul later on writes that to be a follower of Jesus is to be a servant of Jesus. 
Sometimes servants just need to do what the master wants. And what the master wants on this important, pivotal, historical day is to take an orderly meeting and turn it into a scene of bedlam in order to create a commotion that draws a crowd. And it works. The streets are filled with people going to and from the temple, and they hear the loud voices coming through the open windows of this house, and they come over to check things out. Now, these foreign Jews who are visiting Jerusalem, they typically don't speak Hebrew. So when they're in Jerusalem, they communicate with Israeli Jews by speaking Greek. That's the common language. It's the language of commerce. Everybody in that world spoke Greek. So these foreigners are used to hearing Greek when they visit Jerusalem, but they're not used to hearing the languages of Crete and Arabia and all of these other countries that were mentioned in the passage. And therefore, it's no surprise that when a foreigner hears his very own language, praising God, no less, that he wants to stop and listen. You see what's happening here? The Holy Spirit has just created a huge disruption which draws a crowd, a crowd full of the curious and a crowd full of the scoffers. And this sets the stage for Peter. And Peter speaks to the crowd and he tells them that this day, is a day of apocalypse. Look at what Peter says, starting in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now listen to these words as Peter quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We need to realize that Peter was not given any advance warning by God that this was going to happen. He didn't stand up to speak with some notes. He just stands up and starts talking. And the first thing he does is he dispels the notion that the believers are drunk, as some in the crowd have alleged. People fasted on the day of Pentecost, and it's only nine in the morning, so at that point no one's had anything to eat or drink. And so this phenomena, this miracle of wind and fire, and foreign languages cannot be explained away by drunkenness. And as Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit brings to mind this prophecy from the book of Joel. And Peter says that the events they are witnessing are a fulfillment 
of Joel's ancient words. Now, at first glance, it may seem like this passage from Joel that Peter quotes doesn't fit at all. After all, the sun doesn't go dark. The moon doesn't turn to blood. Joel is using what's called apocalyptic language. It's an ancient style of writing that is not intended to be taken literally. It employs vivid imagery to describe dramatic, world-changing events. And the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is a world-changing event. Why is that? Because the Spirit ushers in what Joel calls the last days. The last days begin here with the arrival of the Spirit because they usher in the age of Jesus, the Messiah. The Spirit will equip followers of Jesus to represent Jesus in the world. And the last days will continue and be brought to a close when Jesus comes again and establishes a new heaven and a new earth for eternity. Beginning of the last days is a historical moment. Because of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God no longer will reside in a building in Jerusalem called the temple. From now on, the presence of God will reside in the people who follow Jesus. That's change. That's new and different. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, God's going to form a new community of faith called the church. And it will become a community of all kinds of people, from all different walks of life, from every nation. People who might not have anything else in common will be united because of their common faith in Jesus. And this new community will be filled with the power and the passion and the purpose of the Spirit. It will be a community that is continually being transformed and making a difference in the world. So the arrival of the Holy Spirit is as significant as if the sun went dark, as if the moon turned to blood. The world will be different because of what takes place on this historic day. From now on, human beings made in the image of God can experience God in an entirely new personal way. And so the day of Pentecost is an apocalyptic day. It's a day when God makes things new. Joel's prophecy ends with a declaration that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter goes on now to add to Joel's words, and he explains that this Lord mentioned by Joel actually has a name. His name's Jesus. And the bulk of Peter's impromptu sermon is all about Jesus. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to summarize it for you. But in verses 22 to 35, Peter explains that the death of Jesus on the cross was not an accident. It was done by God's plan. Furthermore, Jesus did not stay in the grave. He conquered death. He was raised from the dead. And Peter tells his audience, I've seen him. Me and the other disciples, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. And so these people, mostly foreigners, 
They listen as Peter preaches. And then in verses 36 and 37, he summarizes his message, and the people respond by asking the key question. Acts 2.36, Peter says, Therefore, summarizing everything he said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? When people are cut to the heart, It means they're convicted, and that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that Jesus taught about. He said the Holy Spirit would convict people of their guilt in regards to their sins. And so these people now are cut to their heart. They recognize that they're guilty, they're separated from God, and they need to experience God's forgiveness. And because of that recognition, they ask that key question, what should we do? It's the key question anyone should ask when they're confronted by the reality of their own sinfulness and the reality of God. When we realize that we are separated from God and that we need to be rescued from the condition of our sin because of that, and we recognize that we can't solve the problem on our own, our own merit and effort won't do it, what should we do? When we understand that Jesus was sent by God to solve this problem on our behalf and that he died so we could get connected to God, what should we do? And it's so important to see that no one in the crowd asks, what should we believe? They understand that faith requires action. Unless we act upon what we believe, we do not have faith. These people have come to a point where they believe, and so now they need to act. And because of that, they ask the right question. And Peter provides a very clear and concise answer. He gives an invitation for all. Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, which is telling us we're only getting a summary of Peter's sermon. He had a lot more to say. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In response to that key question, what should we do? Peter tells the people to take two life-changing actions. First, repent. To repent means to acknowledge that you're separated from God as a direct result of your own attitudes and actions. It's a recognition that you want to be forgiven and you want to live differently in the future. And then second, you need to be baptized. Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism means to be immersed in water and undergo a process of spiritual transformation that results in God's forgiveness. Let's think about that for a minute, though. How can that 
how can that really be true? How can dunking someone in water result in a changed life? It's because the Holy Spirit meets us in the water and He starts to change us. Jesus said, John the Baptist baptized with water. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who makes Christian baptism so much more than just a physical act. It's the Spirit who disrupts our lives by causing us to die to our old nature, by raising us to new life, and by helping us to live as followers of Jesus. That is His act of loving disruption as He rescues us from our past and starts us on a new course, living life fresh in connection with Jesus Christ. The Spirit meets us in response to our faith. We just have to decide, have to decide we're going to do something. And what we do is repent and be baptized. And God forgives us. He pours out His Spirit upon us. And this simple, heartfelt, timeless message from Peter grips this crowd. And so in response to the lovingly disruptive work of the Holy Spirit, some 3,000 people repent, they're baptized, and they receive the gift of the Spirit. Their lives are changed. I guarantee they experience some disruption to their plan as the Spirit began to show them what it now meant to live as a follower of Jesus. And this invitation that Peter offers here is an invitation for all because the process of forgiveness and transformation isn't just for them. It's also for their children, which means it's for subsequent generations. It's also for people who are far off. People living in distant lands. And I believe that's one of the primary reasons God sent His Spirit on this day when this international crowd is there in Jerusalem. So many of these people who are baptized are foreigners. And when the Feast of Pentecost is over, they will go home and they will carry with them this transforming promise that Peter has spelled out. And they will begin the process of achieving God's unfinished business. They will help take the message of the kingdom of God. The message about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They will take that message and help carry it to the world. And it all begins here on the day of Pentecost. A day that changed human history. And here's what we know from history. Because God unleashes His Spirit and empowers His people on Pentecost, over the next 30 years they will transform the Middle East and Asia Minor by spreading the message of Jesus throughout the known world. The lives of men, women, and children will be changed. Communities will be changed. Cultures will be changed because of the spiritual fire that's ignited by the Holy Spirit in the lives of people who love Jesus. 
the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be blessedly disruptive. And we know that the work of God's kingdom still is unfinished. And that's why every generation is given the opportunity to embrace this simple, profound promise that Peter lays out here. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. It's a promise for people from every nation, every tribe, and every language group on the face of the earth because only through Jesus and His kingdom can humanity find peace and unity. And so this promise continues to be shared today all over the world. It's shared in places like Zimbabwe, in the Shona language, as we see in this short video clip from our missionary, Nick Adams. I'm going to read um, Acts chapter 2, verse 13 and 39 in Shona. Petro agapindura akati, tende ukai mubaba tizwe, mumweno mumwenyu musitara jeso kristu, kutimure gererwe zivi zenyu, uye mugogamu chira chipocho mwea musene, Chipikiru wandechenyu, nava na venyu, nava oseva rikure, nava oseva chasodanwa, nashe mariwedu. And this promise also is being shared in languages like Spanish. Cada uno de ustedes en el nombre de Jesucristo para perdón de sus pecados. Les contesta Pedro y recibirán el don del Espíritu Santo. En efecto, la promesa es para ustedes, para sus hijos y para todos los extranjeros, en decir para todos aquellos a quien el Señor nuestro Dios quiera llamar. It's being shared in nations like Ethiopia in the language of Amharic. Yenen besamu gizay lebacho tanaka, petrosinna lelo chawariat, wendemuchoy, menen nadir galwacho, petrosim nisagbu, hatiatachu isarayzend iyandandachu bay Yesus Christosim tatamaku, yemen feskadusinim sutotat kabelalachu. And this message of promise and hope from Peter can even be shared through American Sign Language. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And it's being shared in Kenya, in the key Swahili language. Matendo mbili, mistari wa thalarini na nane na thalarini na tisa. Petro akawajibu. Tubuni mkabatizwe kina moja wenu kwa jina la Yesu Christo. Hili mpate kusamehewa dhambizeni. Nanyi mtapokewa kipawa cha roho mtakatifu kwa kuwa ahadi hii ni kwa ajili yenu na watoto wenu na kwa wote walio mbali na kila mtu ambaye bwana Mungu wetu atamwita amjie 
This message of promise and hope is being shared in these languages and in hundreds of other languages around the globe each and every day. And it's a reminder of God's great purpose. Through the Holy Spirit, He wants to draw all people into His kingdom. And access to that kingdom comes through Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Messiah. What a day, the day of Pentecost was. A day of wind and fire. A miracle of languages, a day that was apocalyptic because God changed the world. So how do we respond? What do you and I do with this life-changing story? Well, it depends on where you stand in relationship to God. It may be that you've never taken an initial step of faith. And if so, then this invitation offered by Peter is for you. And today you can repent and be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who we've seen at work in this Bible passage. And if you're in that place, I want to encourage you to make your way over to the prayer corner at the end of the service. We'll have an elder or two there, and they would love to talk about how you can make a fresh start with Jesus today. How you can let the Holy Spirit lovingly disrupt your life so you can experience the very best that God has for you. Now, it may be that you're a believer, but you've never been baptized. And if that describes you, I hope you will now see the importance of taking this step. Baptism is so much more than just an act of physical obedience. It's an intensely spiritual moment where God meets us in a personal way. So if you've been delaying, if you've been hesitant, if you've, you've been procrastinating, I encourage you, don't wait. Take that step of faith. Be baptized. Let God do His work in you. And then how about those of us who are baptized believers? How do we respond? Our great challenge is to not stifle the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He wants to fire us up with spiritual passion. And I pray that we would willingly allow Him to disrupt our lives when necessary so we can represent Jesus wisely and well, so that we can help draw other people into the kingdom of God. That's the great privilege that we have because we're filled with the Spirit. We represent the kingdom, the kingdom where we honor the Father because of Jesus the Son and where we have the opportunity and the privilege to live each day in the power of the Spirit, with the presence of the Spirit, pursuing the purpose of the Spirit. May that be true for us.